Good morning and welcome to our service of worship here at First Church of New Knoxville. We're so glad you've decided to join us as we worship the Lord together today. We're going to start our service this morning with a prelude. Thank you. Once again, welcome to our worship service here at First Church. Uh, several announcements that I want to share with you this morning. First of all, I want to welcome back Dylan Robbins, who's helping us out on the piano this morning. He's been with us several times in the past, and it's good to have you back with us again this morning. Also helping out with the service today, uh, Terry Wisman will be helping with the message later in the service. It's good to have Terry sharing from God's Word with us again this morning. The Rose on the Altar is in honor of Jim and Bev Reinecke, who will celebrate 58 years of marriage on Tuesday, June 30th. Happy anniversary to them. The flower arrangement. The flower arrangement here in front of the in front of the pulpit is uh, from the funeral service of Roger Eversman, which took place here in the church yesterday. There's an informal visitation time this afternoon from 2 to 4 p.m. at the Eversman home on Flutter John Road if anyone would like to stop by and pay their respects and visit with the family. Later today from 7 to 8.30 p.m. is Junior and Senior High Backyard Bible Study. It's taking place at Jack and Sarah Shrolicky's home this evening. Once again, that's 7 to 8.30 tonight at Jack and Sarah Shrolicky's. 
Uh, one other announcement, looking ahead to next month on July 12th, uh, we are going to be having a joint pool party with the United Methodist Church at the Wapak Public Pool. Uh, when we had to uh, cancel VBS a few weeks ago, we were part of the conversation was looking for ways to continue to connect with the Methodist Church and continue to fellowship with them. And they've invited us to join them. Uh, this was a pool party that was already on their schedule, and they've invited us to jo- join them for it. So it is Sunday night, July 12th. Uh, the pool is reserved from 6.15 to 8.15 p.m. Uh, there's a picnic area there, and, and so we invite you, if you're going to come and join us, to bring a dish to share. Uh, the churches are going to provide hot dogs and those sorts of things, and if you'd like to bring something to share, uh, you're welcome to do that. And if you just want to come and swim and have a good time, you're, you're welcome to do that as well. So that is, again, Sunday, July 12th, from 6.15 to 8.15. There's inf- information in your bulletin as well as a newsletter that went out this past week. Other announcements, I want to encourage you to to take a look at your bulletin. Uh, If you are not here with us physically this morning, if you're listening on the radio or watching on Facebook Live, you can access our bulletin on our website, firstchurchnk.org. This time I invite you to stand as we read our call to worship together from Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. If you're able, I invite you to continue to stand with us as we sing our first hymn this morning, How Firm a Foundation.
this time, I'd like to invite forward Maria Lammers for Children's Chat this morning. Good morning. Hello. Just have to see how many little people I have up there who know where they're at so that maybe they can help me a little bit. All right. Does anybody know what I have here? What is it called? Is it a level? What do we do with the level? Ben and I used a level this week when we hung something on the wall. When we have a level, we want to make sure it's straight because, you know, we don't want a shelf hanging on the wall like this because, you know, it's not, nothing's going to stay on that wall. So we want to make sure that you see there's water in here and there's a little air bubble. And that little air bubble tells us when it's level. Okay? So the level is a reminder that we need to have balance in our lives. You see, because if our shelf isn't balanced, things are going to slide. And if our life isn't balanced, things aren't going to be the way they need to be. In Simon Solomon talks about how there is a time and a season for everything. Right now, it being summertime, our lives are pretty simple. There's a time to play and a time to be with our family and a time to come to church and a time to play time to rest now as you get older you're going to have more and more things that you need to balance on your level we're going to have to throw in some schoolwork and maybe sports and clubs and a job and so we need to make sure that we keep this level straight now how do we do that how do we keep that level straight we keep god in the center we keep god in the center of our lives That way, we know that we're going to be there. We're going to do it. We're going to get everything done in time. Okay? When you put God first, God will give you the wisdom to know how to keep that balance. You'll learn to make time for the stuff you have to do and have time to do the things that you want to do. So, when God falls away... From being in the center and helping us keep things level, we run into trouble and our level starts to slide. But if we go back and we put God in the center, we're going to have a very balanced life and a good life. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for you. Thank you for being in our lives. Help us to keep you in the center, to keep us balanced so that we have time for everything that you have planned for us. Keep us healthy, keep us safe. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Maria. One of the ways that we can keep balance in our lives is by keeping Christ at the center and by worshiping him for who he is. Let's continue to do that this morning as we stand and sing, Glorify Thy Name.
seated. Before we go to the Lord in prayer this morning, I want to draw your attention uh, to the uh, two things this morning. Um, once again, uh, we have a prayer list for this week. As I shared with you last week, we're trying to gain a little bit of a new focus with that. And so uh, each week we are going to have a list of names that represent prayer requests. And uh, it could be, could be a, a prayer of, of need. It could be even a praise report if you want to share something about and, and thank God for something wonderful that has happened and answer to prayer, those sorts of things. Uh, but each week that list is going to be refreshed and be new. And the reason we want to do that is to be encouraging continued prayer and continued engagement from you as a church family in prayer. And so uh, the, you see the names listed there today are all uh, all requests that came in this week specifically for people, for families. So you know what's represented there is a current and, and, and pressing need. And so I encourage you to be in prayer for the families and the names that are listed there. And again, that's also a reminder, if you have a need, if you have a prayer request, if you know whether yourself or a family member or a friend that is in need of prayer, please take time uh, this week to submit those prayer requests so that we can be uh, continually updating that list in the bulletin. There's many ways that you can do that. You could drop a note and an offering plate on the way out your door. You can send an email to myself or to Connie in the office. Or you could just stop by the office sometime this week and let us know that way. Um, but we would love to continue to be in prayer for you and for, for whatever needs you and your friends, or your family, or this community may have. So I want to draw your attention to the, the prayer list for this week and encourage you to be in prayer for those families. I also want to draw your attention to our offering for this morning. As you know, we're not passing the offering plate as we normally would here in church as a, as a precaution with everything that's still going on with the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, but I do want to thank you for your support and your continued generosity um, as, we, as we've been collecting offerings a little differently these past few months. Uh, of course, you can continue to give here in person. The deacons will be stationed at the exits on your way out of the sanctuary, and you can give that way. Or you can also continue to give online or by dropping off a donation at the office during the week. Our offering this morning is in support of a new uh, designated offering ministry this year. It is Rustic Hope, which is based out of Salina. There's information about this ministry in your bulletin I want to draw your attention to, but it is a uh, it is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that offers free support to single mothers before, during, and after delivery. Services may include temporary housing, transportation, food, clothing, baby supplies, daycare, adoption information, counseling, parenting classes, and much more. And you can learn more about this ministry at rustichope.com. So the offering today, whether it's collected at the doors or through online giving, will go to support the Rustic Hope ministry based out of Salina. Very good ministry for us to support. Let's go to the Lord at this time in prayer. Lord God, we thank you that you are, you are a God who is ever-present. You are a God who knows our needs, Lord, that even, even with something as simple as, as names listed in a bulletin, Lord, even if we don't know exactly what is going on, we know that you are aware and that you know what each one of those needs are. And so, Lord, first and foremost, we lift up these concerns to you. We pray that you would be with each family, each name that's represented in our prayer list today. We pray for comfort and, and strength and peace for families who have lost loved ones recently. And we pray in particular for the family of Roger Eversman as well as the family of Russ Wiedemann. Uh, Lord, we ask for, for uh, a peace that passes understanding, Lord, uh, at, a t- at a time of like this. Lord, we pray for healing for those who are in need of it. We pray for provision for those who are, who are lacking, Lord. 
Uh, We know that all good and perfect gifts come from you and that you are the provider and you are the sustainer of everything in this world. And so we ask, Lord, that you would provide and you would heal and you would bless, Lord, where it's needed. And Lord, I pray that you would use us, that you would use First Church of New Knoxville, that you would use your people in and around this community and this nation and this world to be a blessing and to be the answer to prayer where we can. Lord, I pray your spirit would equip us and enable us to do your will here in this place. Lord, we pray also for Rustic Hope. We pray that uh, the offering that we we have today would would go and and support and further the work of their ministry. And we pray, Lord, that they would continue to make a a positive impact on on single mothers uh, during their time of need. And we pray, Lord, that we thank you, Lord, that they have a place that they can turn to uh, when they don't know where else to go. Uh, Lord, we ask uh, now that you would continue to be with us here this morning as we worship you and and lift up our praises to you. And and as we turn to your word here shortly, that you would be glorified in all that we do. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Our scripture reading today is from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. As usual, if you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to follow along with me, uh, whether that's your own personal Bible or you have a phone or tablet or something to follow along with. The words are also printed in your bulletin. So these are the words of God from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge the duties of your ministry. This is God's word. This time I'll invite forward Terry Wisman. Uh, He's going to be... Uh, well, we're kind of tag team in this sermon here today. He's going to share with you some observations, uh, something that God has been laying on his heart. And then I'm going to I'm going to kind of close out our time in God's word today by following up with him. But this has been a long time coming. Uh, we've been in conversation about sharing a message for some time. We even had you on the schedule in April uh, to preach. But then the coronavirus hit and we decided that that was not a good time to do that. And so I'm glad to have you here now today to share with us from God's word. Uh, I'd love to pray for you and then I'll turn the pulpit over to you. Uh, Lord God, I thank you so much for Terry. I thank you for, for his heart. And I thank you for the message that you've laid on his heart today. I pray that your spirit would guide him and give him the words to speak and that Lord, and, and that you would open up all of our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. I pray this in Jesus name. Amen. The beautiful majesty of a star-filled sky, the powerful rumble of thunder, 
and the soothing sound of a gentle summer shower, the fragrance of new-mown grass, the lilting call of a brilliant red cardinal from the top of a nearby tree. These and so much more are all gifts from God. Let us rejoice and give thanks. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, make us ever mindful of your generous gifts, and let us never forget that you created us in your image and freely grant us the miracle of your eternal grace. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Joel, for inviting me back. I may need to ask you all for your indulgence, because these days, most of my verbal conversation consists of, yes, dear, I'll take care of that right away, or occasionally, sorry, I didn't get that today, but it'll be on top of my list tomorrow. So, I hope my voice holds out, but I've got a good backup, so let's go for it. Since I was about three foot tall, until my mid-teen years, I knew where I was going to be the first two weeks of August, each year, every year. My grandfather would load his boat on the trailer, and the extended family would head north in convoy to the upper Michigan's Upper Peninsula for two weeks of fishing, fishing, and more fishing. As we crossed the straits in a car ferry, we were able to watch the construction of the Mackinac Bridge. One year they were constructing the, the massive twin towers. The next year, the workers were busy stringing the cables from shore to shore over those massive towers. The next year we went up, they were laying the road panels down from either end. And the year after that, we drove over the brand new bridge. Since we returned to virtually the same place every year, my brother and I quickly made friends with the local kids. Early on, we learned about the ghost town. The first time I went to the ghost town with a couple of the local kids, my brother was too young then, we rode in the back of, rode down a dusty old road in the back of a rusty old pickup. I bet everybody have a fit at that today. See those, see us sitting back in there. We stopped off next to several flat rocks stacked at the edge of the woods. You would never see them unless you were looking for them. They were a secret marker. Off we went as the pickup pulled away, and we struggled through what seemed like miles and miles of the most dense forest I've ever been in. It seemed a long way, but it was probably a little over a half mile. And suddenly, there it was. Buildings, stone foundations, a massive stone smelter building, stone igloos for producing charcoal, and artifacts of all kinds. The place was completely overgrown. Trees, bushes, vines, everything. You could barely make it through. This small village was founded and operated to support an iron ore smelting facility. 
there was a beautiful, deep water, natural harbor with massive limestone bluffs that allowed the ore to be shipped in and the pig iron ingots to be shipped out by boat. I recall the picture of the Mayan ruins from my grandfather's National Geographic. This place was no less amazing. Since that first visit, it was required that one day, usually when it was too windy to go fishing, be set aside for me and my brother to visit the ghost town. I even bought a cheap machete to help us hack our way back there. During several visits, we found old tools, hundred-year-old bottles, and many, many other treasures. On our last visit, we found that the state of Michigan had discovered the ghost town and designated it Fayette State Park. Check it out on the Internet. You can spend hours looking at all the village and the history and everything like that. When we got there, there was a road to the village now, and dozens of state workers were busily cleaning up the area, cutting down the trees, getting rid of the bushes, and restoring the buildings. As we were standing there next to the harbor, a truly impressive yacht entered. And as it came over, it approached the dock, got near there, and some of the white uniformed crew jumped off to tie up the lines. Now, this yacht was no rowboat with an outboard motor, I'll tell you. It was the 86-foot motor vessel Chanticleer and came to the dock right there. And I'm sure the crew got a big kick out of these two young boys on the dock with their mouths hanging open, watching the boat come in. Years later, my brother said that since that day, he had often dreamed of being on a boat, entering that same beautiful harbor and tying up at that same dock. Shortly after Sally and I got our 32-foot express cruiser, which we keep up, kept up on Lake Erie, I called my brother and asked him if he would like to realize that childhood dream. I think it took about a half a second before he shouted yes in my ear, and I will blame all hearing damage on the right side on that conversation. So, Sally and I, with nephew Jay, left Lake Erie up through Lake St. Clair, the full length of Lake Huron, and under the Mackinac Bridge, which was a personal dream of mine. Every time I crossed the bridge and saw those boats cruising underneath, with their long white wakes streaming back in the crystal clear water, I said, someday that'll be me. Today was that day. We continued on over to Charlevoix on the east side of Lake Michigan, and I met my brother and we met my brother and his wife to prepare for the voyage across over to Fayette. It is 71 miles from Charlevoix to Fayette, directly across Lake Michigan. It was a slightly hazy day when we started our journey, and soon all sight of land disappeared. It was just water, 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 and more water. Not to mention the 200 feet of water that was beneath the boat. 
I could tell my brother seemed very nervous. And finally he asked, do we know where we are? In addition to the charts that I always carry, I had programmed the GPS chart plotter with several waypoints to guide us across the lake. I asked him what time it was, and after he told me, I told him that in 23 minutes, he would see a red buoy right in front of the boat. He didn't say anything, but from his expression, I could tell what he was thinking. And it went something like this. Here we are in the middle of who knows where, and my crazy brother, that'd be me, just told me that he was going to find an 18-inch diameter metal can floating in the middle of Lake Michigan. Heaven help us. Exactly 23 minutes later, the boy appeared exactly where I said it would be. His anxiety seemed to instantly disappear and as far as I know, stayed gone. Several hours later, we tied up in Fayette Harbor. And as we entered the harbor, I saw big smiles all around, especially my brother. A fantastic time was had by all. What a wonderful trip. As I sat on the aft deck that evening with a refreshing beverage and watched a beautiful sunset, I reflected on the day's journey. It was a big lake and a big challenge. It was kind of an epiphany. By recognizing the challenging by recognizing the challenges we might face and using experience and knowledge and the available technology to prepare and be ready for those challenges, these gave me the confidence to meet the big lake challenge. These same principles can be applied when confronting hostile challenges from the evil enemies of God and us, his followers. Hostile actions against religion are not new. In fact, they are as old as civilization. The Bible is replete with examples of religious persecution. All of us aware are aware of the Holocaust, at least we should be. Unfortunately, hostile actions are spreading closer to home. School prayer bans, lawsuits to remove Crosses from memorials, boycotts, discrimination, and recently, acts of horrendous violence against church members. There is one event that to this day absolutely amazes me. As the astronauts of Apollo 8 orbited the moon, the first time men left the orbit of Earth to another heavenly body, They read from the creation story in the book of Genesis during their last orbit of the moon before heading home to earth. They chose to do this on their own. The decision was theirs and theirs alone. I was one of the millions of people that watched the TV transfixed as the stark images of the lunar surface passed beneath the spacecraft. And those wonderful words in the beginning, were broadcast live from 60 miles above the moon. Only later did I learn that a prominent atheist had sued NASA and the U.S. government for allowing the astronauts to read from the Bible on a government-funded spacecraft. 
<laughs> what can I say? Words and insults have risen to acts of unspeakable violence. Churches and synagogue, synagogues have been specifically targeted. We can surely agree that as faithful followers of Jesus, that we are under assault from these evil enemies. Other than wringing our hands, what can we, what should we do? It's a big challenge, but we know how to respond to big challenges. Experience, knowledge, preparation, and intelligent use of God's Word will give us the confidence to meet and defeat these hostile challenges. Today's war on religion is truly a real conflict with real victims, a real enemy, and dire consequences. As with any conflict, the first step is to recognize and understand your enemy. And make no mistake, this is an organized and evil enemy. The amazing feature of this evil enemy mob is that most members of this mob do not know they're in it. They are followers. They think they are doing good or at least trying to help save the misguided. They are blindly following their corrupt leaders. How could this be possible? I'd like you to think back to another mob. If I could go back in time and interview each and every person in that crowd, I am absolutely confident that most, if not all, of those gathered would honestly consider themselves good, caring, faithful people. This is the same crowd of good people that ended up screaming, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! Crucify Him! The leaders of today's evil mob seem to be mostly invisible, but they are there, and they are corrupt and evil, and they have an agenda. We and they agree on one thing. There can be only one God. Let me repeat that. We and the evil enemy agree on one thing. There can be only one God. Our God must be replaced with their God. And I'll let you decide what that is. Make no mistake, never have so many been misled so much by so few. It is critical to know the enemy. Briefly, this is what the evil enemy has been and will continue to do. First, change history. Impossible, you say. In this digital, digital age, you'd be wrong. If you have a written copy of the Mayflower Compact, reread it and keep it in a safe place. If you have a copy of the portrait of George Washington kneeling as he made his covenant with God on behalf of our new nation, keep it in a safe place. If you're not aware of this, maybe you should check it out Find out what I'm talking about. The religious founding of this country must be obscured and discredited. These are just three examples of hundreds of important religious, historical religious events that must disappear or be distorted for evil to triumph. 
Several months ago, my wife Sally commented that my 12-year-old work jeans had become so tattered and torn that I was right in style. They look just like the jeans you can buy in an upscale department store for $150 and be in style. If you like being in style, you are in for trouble. Religion and worshiping God is going to be out of style. God is going to be old-fashioned, outdated, and again, certainly out of style. God won't be hip, cool, or woke. Or so they'll say. The enemy lies, they distort, they insult, they threaten, and they intimidate. They will call you ignorant, racist, and more ugly names, and some might even resort resort to violence to stifle any opposition to their God, their supremely evil God. What can we do? Fortunately, God has anticipated this situation and shows us the path to follow. Let's go back to our list. First, we need to identify the challenge, or in this case, the enemy. Matthew chapter 12, chapter 7, verses 15 through 20 tells us this. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Next, we need to use knowledge and experience to prepare ourselves to deal with the enemy. In Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21, we find, Do not repay anyone evil with, for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And let's remember the essence of today's scripture lesson. Preach the word, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. We can also look in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. This tells us, Finally, be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Put the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers 
of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. At this point in preparing this message, I leaned back in my chair and gave thanks. I give thanks to God for showing us the path. I made a note to thank Pastor Joel for revealing the scriptures, the appropriate scriptures to me, and thank my wife Sally for suggesting the Romans chapter 12 verses. But I had a question. Luke chapter 11 Verses 9 and 10 quickly came to mind. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So I ask God, bottom line, what are you going to do Besides showing us the right path. Almost within seconds, my question was answered. I was drawn to the 20th chapter of Revelation, verses 9 through 11. The they in this passage refers to those who have been deceived by Satan. Revelation 20, 9 through 11. They, the deceived, marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. I leaned back again and said, Thanks. I can live with that. Whenever I get dispirited at the unrelenting attacks of the evil mob, I reflect on what I call a non-biblical parable taught to me a long, long time ago by my father. The evil mob might want to take notice, but I doubt they will. I'll adjust his more graphic language slightly for this audience, but you'll get it. He said, when you poke a tiger in the rear end with a sharp stick, you better have a plan to deal with his teeth. God is loving and forgiving, but when you, well, you know the rest of the story. Amen. Thank you, Terry. Thanks for sharing with us from God's Word and and. 
the message that you had there. And I'd like to take the time that we have left here to kind of follow up there and respond and, and reinforce what Terry was sharing with us here. What I want to do is lay a foundation uh, from Scripture for how we can respond as Christians. Right? Terry outlined a lot of good things there, but I want to bring, bring some of that into focus here. He identified a problem really that's becoming more and more apparent in our world, and that's it's really an increasing hostility toward people of faith and, and Christians in particular. It certainly isn't a new problem, but it's one that, that seems to be evolving right before our very eyes. Right? Christ followers are always going to be at odds with the world from one degree to another because our allegiance first and foremost is to Jesus and the kingdom of God, not to any of the kingdoms of this world. Right? When Jesus was arrested and brought before Pilate for questioning, Jesus told him that very thing, my kingdom is not of this world. Christians then are always going to be swimming against the current right, in a broken world that is affected by sin. The question then is how are we going to respond to it? What should we do in response to that reality? Right, when I was a kid, we, we always would go to excuse me, Virginia Beach to visit family. And I remember playing in the ocean with my brothers. Right? After a while, we'd look back at the beach and realize that we had drifted hundreds and hundreds of feet away from our stuff without even realizing it. The current had pulled us down the beach imperceivably. That, in a sense, is what, what we are dealing with here, right? We, if we aren't aware of the problem, if we don't do anything about it, then we're going to find ourselves swept away by the current because the pull is sometimes imperceivable. And so that we need to identify the problem, as Terry has done for us this morning, and we need to make an intentional effort to stay focused on Christ and his kingdom. That's the groundwork that I want to put in place over the next few minutes. All right, the problem, as Terry illustrated for us, is that we do have an enemy, right, who will do anything in his power to keep us from pursuing Christ and his kingdom. Remember Ephesians 6 that he read for us, right? Our enemy is not flesh and blood, right? The enemy is not your boss. The enemy is not your neighbor or, or a family member or a particular politician. The enemy we're talking about here is the enemy, is Satan, the devil, right? The one who scripture says prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. All right, in order to identify the problem, we need to know how he works then. And thankfully, scripture gives us good insight into his tactics. And so there's three things I want us to, I want you to know about how Satan works, how this enemy attacks us. And first of all, is that he undermines God's authority and God's word, right? This is how he attacked Adam and Eve in the garden, and it's how he continues to attack God's people today. Right? The serpent whispered three things into Eve's ear in Genesis 3. First, he questioned the validity of God's commandments. He said to Eve, did God really say you must not eat from the, any tree in the garden? Notice here how he manipulates God's word. Right? God didn't forbid Adam and Eve from eating from every tree. He told them only to not eat from one tree in particular. But Satan's goal was to get them and to us to doubt the validity of God's word. Next, he questioned the truthfulness of God's word. When Eve responded affirmatively, he exclaimed, you certainly won't die. In addition to the seed of doubt that he planted earlier, Satan implies that we cannot even trust God at his word. Even if God did say it, how can we know that it's true? Third, Satan appeals to our pride. He tells Eve that the reason God forbid it was because the fruit will make her like God, able to determine right and wrong for herself. Right? This is nothing more than an attempt to dethrone God. 
Satan tells us we no longer have to depend on him to determine good and evil, right from wrong. We have the power to decide that for ourselves. So Satan's first tactic is to undermine God's word and authority. And he does that. His second tactic is to lie. John 8, 44 and through 45, Jesus speaking to some religious leaders of his day. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you don't believe in me. What does Jesus say about the enemy here? He says that there's no truth in him, that everything he says and does is a lie. In fact, lying is his native language. It's all he knows how to do. God is truth and God's word is truth. Satan, therefore, is the complete opposite of that. Unfortunately, we're all too ready to believe his lies. Lies about God and what God thinks of us. Lies about ourselves. Lies about other people. The best lies aren't obvious deceptions, right? Instead, they twist, they stretch and manipulate the truth, right? Think about, again, how Satan tempted Eve in the garden. He took God's command and twisted it and, and manipulated it into saying something it didn't actually, that God didn't actually say. And that's exactly what Satan does to us. The enemy's third tactic then is to deceive. He pulls the wool over our eyes, excuse me, over the eyes of unbelievers so they cannot see the truth. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, Paul says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this age, of course, is Satan. He blinds the eyes of unbelievers so that they cannot willingly see the truth. They appear, these people are deceived and don't even realize it, as Terry illustrated for us. There are people who wholeheartedly believe that, they're doing what is, that what they're doing is right and good, and yet they're doing the opposite. What they're doing is in direct opposition to the truth of the gospel and the work of reconciliation in and through Christ. In his book, The Screwtape Letter, C.S. Lewis gives a fictional account of a conversation between two demons working to oppose God, Screwtape and his uncle Wormwood. Wormwood teaches his nephew that their goal isn't necessarily to convince people to worship Satan, right? That would be too obvious. That isn't really the point. They don't care if people even believe that demons and the enemy exist. Their goal, however, is to do anything to keep their focus and attention off of Christ. Our world offers plenty of distractions, and there are any number of reasons why people don't give God the time of day, and Satan will use all of them to keep people's focus off of Christ. And so the enemy's goal is to undermine God's word and authority through lies and deception. Knowing this to be the case, right, how are we as Christians supposed to respond? How do we intentionally push back against the lies and keep our focus on Christ and his kingdom? Well, it requires, it requires three things. And Terry alluded to them already here today. To combat doubt, we need faith, right? To combat lies, we need truth. And to combat deception, we need unity in Christ. In 2 Timothy 4, Paul's remedy to the undermining of God's word and authority was to preach the word, to rely completely and fully on Scripture. Paul knew that in order to withstand the enemy's assault and the distractions of the world, we would need to ground ourselves in, in the Bible. It requires faith, right, to trust, to take God at his word. The temptation we have is to trust ourselves, 
to think that we have it all figured out. But we need to understand that God is so much greater than us. It is not our job to stand in authority over Scripture. It's, it's our job to allow Scripture to stand in authority over us. Isaiah 58, verses 8 through 11 says, this is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. He says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, we do not return and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it blood and f- bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word, right? God speaking, my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Right? God's word, scripture is unchanging. It's unmoving. It's our constant when everything around us changes. You could say that God's word is our navigation system as we attempt to navigate life. Right? Think of Terry's story again as he was out on that boat in the middle of Lake Michigan. He was in the middle of the lake with no land or any other identifiable marks in sight. Yet he did not give in to fear. He was not afraid because he knew where he was going. He had the tools at his disposal to reach his destination. And that's what God's word is for us. When it seems like we are lost and we don't know where to turn, when Satan attempts to deceive us and whisper half-truths and outright lies in our ears, we know we can turn to God's word for the guidance we need because it does not change and it always points us to Christ. See, Jesus, as revealed in Scripture, will ultimately bring us together. Satan seeks to divide and conquer, but Jesus brings us together as one family. Paul says in Galatians 3, verses 26 through 29, In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to his promise. As children of God, we must, we must make knowing him, loving him, and serving him our primary goal in life. We must accomplish this by digging into his word and having it be our number one priority. Yes, we should be informed by our culture and what's going on in the world. Yes, we should be active in the political processes we are able to be. But it all needs to be done under the authority of Scripture. We need to let Scripture inform us first, not the other way around. When Christians have this mindset, it will bring us together because we are building on the same foundation, the Word of God. Trusting, believing, and uniting under the authority of God is the key to withstand the assault of the enemy. When tempted by Satan in the wilderness, Jesus responded each time by quoting Scripture. And he did so to set an example for us to follow. Right, there are several ways that we can get to a point where Scripture is our natural response to spiritual attack, just as it was for Jesus. And first and foremost, the most important thing we can do is simply be in God's Word, regular Bible reading. We can't sit under the authority of Scripture if we don't know it for ourselves. And for some, Bible reading can be intimidating. I get that. But it doesn't have to be that way. Right? Read, read a few verses at a time and spend some time thinking about what each of them teach you about God and how to apply them to your life. Maybe you can build up to eventually reading a chapter a day and, and you can even, at some point, if you have the time, read an entire book in one sitting. Right? Many of the letters of the New Testament can easily be read in just a few minutes straight through. 
However you do it, whatever time you have available, make sure that you include regular Bible reading because that is key. Another thing you can do is memorize scripture. It's a great way to allow God's truth to shape your mind. We've been working on this with Josephine. We'll read a verse together. We'll write it on an index card and we tape it next to the bathroom mirror. Right now we have about six of them lined up, I think. Whenever she's washing her hands or brushing her teeth, she reads through them. I can sometimes, can sometimes hear her doing that outside the bathroom. Honestly, and, and when I'm in there and I'm washing my hands, I, I do it too. We did it for her, but it's been a great way for all of us to memorize God's word. Remember, we are ambassadors for Christ. By definition, ambassadors are people who live in a foreign nation and represent their homeland. We live in a world that at different times and in different places is hostile toward Christ. We must therefore stand our ground firmly rooted in God's word and share the hope of the gospel with a world that desperately needs it. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Terry and his willingness to, to share what you've placed on his heart and, and the opportunity, Lord, you gave me to, to just follow up with that. And, and, and Lord, thank you that you are a God who speaks to us and guides us and directs us through his word. Help us as your people to be people of your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As we close our service today, I invite you to stand with us if you're able and sing our closing hymn, number 271, Standing on the Promises of God.
May the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. You may go in peace. Thank you.